your dice. You know, I thought this chair was going to be more of an audio problem through the course of this series. This is the same chair I've been sitting at all along. I mean, obviously I've moved between recording sessions a bit. But perhaps tellingly, the chair is beginning to fall apart. Possibly from the weight of all of my pony-related wisdom. Possibly because it was a cheap chair from Ikea that I assembled myself. Who knows? Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast, where we have worked our way through the later seasons of the show, episode by episode. And now we reach the three-part finale, sort of. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N Hart, I thank you very much. And today we will be looking at the ending of the end, parts one and two. Followed next week by The Last Problem, a season nine wrap-up, some podcast-related self-indulgence and reflection, and who knows what else. Yet, yet, to be honest, that will probably be quite sufficient. But for the time being, it's all been building to this, and I don't just mean season nine. The ending of The End was broadcast in two separate parts on October the 12th, 2019. Part one was written by Nicole... Drum roll, please. Dubuque. Yeah, I've been getting that wrong for more than a year. My apologies, Mrs. Dubuque. If you're this far in, you probably don't need that much of an introduction to Mrs. Dubuque. She was co-story editor with J-Hab for season eight and half of season nine, and has written a lot of significant episodes for the show. Part two was written by Michael Vogel another considerable player in the last few seasons of the show, uh, who has written a lot of episodes, both with Dubuque and with J-Hab himself. So this is a logical trifecta to finish off the show. Of course, the last episode will go to The Habster. I'm sorry, gosh. <laughs> but for the time being, we have the tag team of Dubuque and Vogel. Doble, or Vabuke, if you will. I won't, actually. But yeah, both of these episodes share an 8.9 aggregate score on IMDb from a not inconsiderable number of votes. And the synopsis for part one there reads, A villainous alliance unleashes their power on Equestria. Yeah, that's... that's it. And yet, it's so much more. There are... Two ways of approaching this review, really, and using the sort of tenuous justification of value for money, I am obviously going to explore both. The first, most simple one, is the two parts taken as one seamless whole, as an experience from a fan's perspective at the end of a long, long run. I've often said that the most fun I've ever had watching a television show was watching The Return of Harmony Part 2 on a live stream back in September 2011, just sharing the buzz of the chat. And for me, what was my first experience of brand new G4 content, having come in just after Season 1 ended, the what seemed to be long ponyless summer, quote-unquote, which actually in retrospect was a pretty short ponyless summer, was finally at an end. 
and I had sat through the slightly weird, and I'll be honest, disappointing first part, and was rewarded with this delirious sugar rush. But my second most enjoyable TV watching experience is probably watching the finale, again on a live stream. A lot more ambivalence, though at the time I was just prepared to let it take me. There was such excitement in the chat. I think I still have videos saved of the chat in the live stream, flipping out to upbeat music in between the episodes and during the commercial breaks. This quick-fire wall of, of emotes and gifs. Back in my day, we just had emoticons, which, as we know, ultimately lost their long-waged battle against the Autobots. Anyway, finales are a tricky, tricky business. Even some of the more lauded ones, I think, can somewhat fall into a mire of calculation and celebration for its own sake. As much as I enjoyed the show, I can't pretend I'm a huge fan of the Deep Space Nine finale. It has a rather self-congratulatory, sepia-toned flashback montage with all of the characters grinning and hugging and, oh, remember that time in that mediocre episode when the Doctor did this? And also, due to contractual reasons, it conveniently forgets Jadzia Dax because she had been written out of the show at this point. There's also a rather underwhelming and very literal final battle with Goldacat in the fire caves, but you know what, you, you probably don't care about all this. Honestly, contrary to popular consensus, and I believe I've said this before, I think the Game of Thrones finale was pretty good. Maybe there were some aspects of that last season which felt a little rushed in comparison with earlier seasons, but it made sense to me, and I have no problem with a bittersweet ending. I'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but Keep an open mind. Now, with any devoted, mixed blessing, fan base, it can take somebody writing a character in a slightly unexpected way to have the wrap-up of the show completely condemned. They may not actually be stakeholders, but emotionally they certainly are. Now look, this ain't The Sopranos. While I would try and see where the writers were coming from, I would be unlikely to applaud the show for an ambiguous and unsettling ending, because that would simply be inappropriate. And I'm not saying that just because, oh, it's quote-unquote just a kid's show. No, no, no. It would rather step on its own point. Because even when the educational and informative tag was taken off the show, this is still a show that is to a degree supposed to guide and illustrate. And if a show called Friendship is Magic ultimately didn't show the value of friendship, that would be a fundamental failure, even though you could argue that uh, it might have been more realistic or dramatic if it went for social realism. If you do want a more cynical ending to the show, that can easily be accomplished. Simply skip the second part of this two-parter and go immediately to the introductory G5 film, A New Generation. While a less cathartic end to G4, 
it actually probably makes a teensy bit more sense as a lead-in to G5. But that's not what we're here for. And that's not what this two-parter is here for either. So, after all of that preamble, on its simplest, most elemental viewing terms, does this feel like a satisfying end to the show? Yes. Maybe the later books are slightly more... As a high-stakes, emotional, lightning-fast two-parter, it is thoroughly engaging throughout. Now, focusing in a little closer as to what this actually has to accomplish and how well I feel it does that, like any finale, we've got to kind of line up what it needs to tie off and how well prepared these things have been. A lot of finales will introduce or reintroduce long dormant plot threads, trying to create almost an artificial arc for the show. Uh, one of my favourite examples of this is really good show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's slightly cringy attempt in the finale to pretend it had been about feminism showing real-life examples of, of, of women being abused, and then turning around on their abusers. The self-satisfied teen hey. fantasy of the last seven seasons had been some sort of rallying cry to the disenfranchised. But here, the real triumph is that everything feels prepared for. Everything feels like it's been there all along. And it seems to focus on all the right things. There's nothing that comes up in the episode that's like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten that trope, I'd forgotten that thread. And I think one thing that makes this a lot more successful than a lot of other finales is that it doesn't feel contrived. It feels like while it needs a lot of coordination and a lot of attention had to be paid to pacing this correctly and coherently, because of the work that's been done in advance of the show to make sure all the elements are in the correct place, forgive the pun, it feels strangely effortless and very logical in the way that it unravels. I mean, looking at season nine itself, throughout we have had the growing threat of the villains, which is not only the fact that there's three of them, but as I've mentioned before, they are using what is dangerously adjacent to friendship, which makes them more threatening than any other villains, because as we know, a friendship is magic. <gasps> we have also had consistent focusing in on Twilight and her ability not only to be capable of the new responsibilities of leading Equestria, but being emotionally stable enough to do it, ultimately believing in herself enough to do it. And that comes to a head here. It receives, as it should, its ultimate challenge. As Discord puts it, the final exam. We've also had a reinforcement of the main six and their strengths as a group more this season. And a concerted effort, I feel, to bring out the individual strengths of each character and establish how far they've come since their initial faltering steps. While I wasn't that struck on the framework of the episode, I felt that Dubuque's daring doubt did a very good job 
of establishing Fluttershy's increasing confidence, resilience and usefulness, while balancing the vessel in terms of Rainbow Dash's (laughs) thoughtless and reckless side and her proactive and loyal side. We've also had Twilight taking the lead a little bit more striding out in front of Luna and Celestia and actually making determinations about them in the episode Between Dark and Dawn, as well as being called upon more frequently as a sort of guide. Yes, in some ways, a lot of these threads are ones that were cultivated in earlier seasons of the show, owing to her forced protagonist role in season one, ponies would be more likely to come to Twilight for advice. And gradually this became less of a consistent strand when that necessity was removed. And the mid-seasons are probably more dominated by main six solo or duo adventures, particularly when you introduce the cutie map, rather than group adventures. But... Season 9, I feel, has obviously been very carefully plotted and planned to make sure that we are reminded of the bond uh, between each character, of the strengths of each, and how that informs the success and integrity of the whole group. I'll be honest, even fantastic finales that work excellently as standalone shows, like All Good Things, the Star Trek The Next Generation finale, do rely on much older threads. That is more a sequel to the pilot episode than it is anything else. And while, yes, the relationship between Discord, sorry, Q and Picard has altered over the course of the seasons and is a a satisfying one, that was not like a major part of the show by the time the finale came around. So there was a bit of contrivance there. Here... This feels like the logical last chapter of the season. It literally has all built to this. No one needs to tell you why the stakes are high. We know by this point. And it is logical why it is the biggest threat of all. I think that is what makes this so satisfying as the final exam. It's not just something bigger than the last one. It works differently. It works together and it uses the main character's strengths against them. What better final challenge? And what's more, it's personal. But beyond the season nine preparation, the episode finds a logical way to give retroactive strength and meaning to plot elements. And what's more, it's one of the few finales that, owing to the very premise of the show, can introduce as many character cameos as possible in the final episode. And it makes more sense of the story. It's not just celebration for its own sake. To illustrate the power of friendship, you've got to have friends, and the more the merrier. Now, looking back at the other, more long-standing threads this pulls together, some more overt than others... Perhaps for me, the most satisfying and vindicatory one is the way in which the young six are utilised. Now, the school, as a construct coming later in the show, has had a rough ride in terms of its fan reception, certainly. 
People didn't like the way it forced the main six into different and uncomfortable roles. And it was a contrivance. I've said this before, but I like what it did. I love the characters it introduced. And yep, said it a trillion times, it kept the show fresh. But having seen, unfortunately, little of them in this last season compared to season eight, the reintroduction of the young six is not only welcome, providing a a fist pump moment, for me at least, when we realise that they have been working in the background. But beyond that, the very fact that they are key to the success of the main six and the whole of Equestria is testament to the usefulness of a school of friendship. Without the ability to pass this on to the younger generation, friendship would just die. And thus, in this universe, magic would die. And, as we are reminded, the breakdown of the relationship between the three pony tribes also carries the long-standing elemental threat of the Windigos, whose presence signals basically the literal and figurative heat death of the world. Now this is something that was introduced in season two, and has been alluded to on and off since then. A little background threat. The show is also determined not to make the mistake it had occasionally made in the past of having a magical rainbow solve the problem. In a bit of a lampshaded wink, <laughs> this is directly referenced by Twilight herself. Sometimes even the princess of friendship needs a reminder that there's more to the magic of friendship than rainbow lasers. Where in the past it's been the all-powerful villain going, Oh no, friendship does actually exist. Aha. Here we have the literal manifestation, the end point of friendship and the power it can create in combination with the complete disempowerment of the villains leading to their downfall. They're still technically alive. Technically. Rocking some mean poses on the top of a podium in their never-ending living death. This triumph just seems more earned, and the rainbow lasers far less literal and far less necessary as a plot point than they have been in the past. Teamwork has won, optimism has won, faith in each other has won, and it won fair and square. After their defeat, Quite pleasingly, we don't have the ascension to the throne scene. That can wait. Instead, as a nice envelope for the very concept that this episode, this two-parter, this season and this show was trying to impart, it just ends up with the group of friends sharing donuts together after the destruction of the castle, celebrating their togetherness through adversity, just like they did at the end of the season one finale. Friends have a way of making even the worst of times into something pretty great. As horrible as our night was, being together here has made it all better. All I know is whatever comes next is going to be perfect. How do you know that? With you guys by my side, how could it not? Oh, it's so good that they have three episodes to spread this stuff out in. It's like they were deliberately pre-planning to avoid a magical mystery cure crunch. And what's more, I may be reading too much into this. The three-parter is not written by one person. Each 
episode is written by a different writer. And if there is any disparity in tone or spirit or pacing between episodes one and two of the ending of the end, I can't really detect them. It's two writers. Three, if you include Josh Aber's role as script editor, working together with shared purpose. It's like even the showrunners know that friendship is magic. Is this episode perfect? No. It's not far off. More a subjective thing. I'm not necessarily ever thrilled to see the reintroduction of the pillars of friendship. But it is logical that they would be used as a line of defence against the biggest threats Equestria has ever faced. And they're not in it for very long. There are points where the pace is so frenetic and the need to explain things concisely that it almost becomes a little bit difficult to follow the specifics. I am referring particularly to the opening of episode two, where the main six, Sans Twilight, Starlight and the others, are trapped. And there is this quickfire series of explanations about the magic effects of the shards and the laser deflection thing going on. Yo, Pornhart, this is future you. They already explained that in the episode Sparkle 7. They're shards from Chrysalis's throne that can actually defend against magic. So you actually have even less to complain about with this finale than you previously thought. Future Pornhart out. But the thing is, I, I know, I don't even really have time to question all of this, and the showrunners really don't if they want to keep the pace going. What is important is that it emotionally seems logical, and that the catharsis bits are in the right place. You could complain that the CMCs aren't in it. I mean, you get sort of visual appearances, I think at least by Apple Bloom. But look, the last couple of episodes, they have been a, a big presence. It just, you know, it does feel a little bit like they've been put on the, the second tier. Well, the adults talk, if you know what I mean. Look, they couldn't fit any more in here. But I think the main flaw of the episode is this. Don't you think that Chrysalis's crown looks a little bit like a baby's bonnet? And I think the lameness of that criticism, and in fact the limpness of most of those criticisms, is testament to just what a great finale this is. And we're not even quite done yet. Stray observations? Oh boy, we've got a few. Beyond Twy not freaking out at the beginning of the episode, we also have a cute bit of role reversal, where Twilight actually makes Rarity freak out about something, albeit as a little bit of a joke. Is that before or after the Royal Marshmallow Eating Contest gown? What? I haven't made one of those! You must tell me when they add these sorts of things! <laughs> it's okay, Rarity. I was just joking. It's just a nice turnaround, considering how concerned the rest of the group were about Twilight's ability to take command earlier this season. Trixie doesn't have a huge role in this episode, and if you think about it, I mean, she's not one of the main characters, but she does need to be acknowledged. And, yeah, Dubuque, Vogel and Haber know full well that one of the key parts of Trixie's 
presence in the show is her relationship with Starlight. And so we have a lovely little scene with Trixie taking on a somewhat maternal role, guiding all of the kids down through the school catacombs or whatever they are. And then before they have to say goodbye, Starlight just tackles Trixie in this hug. It is such a cute moment. I don't really have much more to say about it than that, but there's lots of little cool fist-pumpy moments in this. Not least, at the end of part one, the boulder, which knocks the villains off temporarily, that seems to come out of nowhere. And it's from rarity. She's straining to use her magic on a big scale, which she never does. And Twilight is as shocked as anyone, but we get that sideways smile from Rarity when it's acknowledged that's a combination of hey, that wasn't so bad, was it? And I tried but it is just so nice that Rarity, who is in a lot of this on her most darlingy, without really properly going over into flanderization, can really hold her own. And when her friends are in jeopardy, she truly will. Yeah, I've moaned about the season 4 finale Dragon Ball Z fight between T-Rex and Twilight before, because that felt sort of like a a, a one-note meta gag. A novelty, really. And while there is a lot of action in this episode, it is very sparingly used. It is far more interestingly and viscerally cut. And usually there is character stuff built into it. The fight between Starlight and Chrysalis is really cool. Not just because you get the real sense that Chrysalis is is dangerous and Starlight is starting to panic a little bit and just rely on the, the scenery to actually protect and use. But Starlight's role as both the outsider and protector, like the gatekeeper of Equestria in a way, is really pushed to the fore. And she delivers a couple of proper die-hard one-liners, which are both knowingly silly and yet completely cool and cathartic at the same time. You'll pay for that! Put it on my tab. This is a brave character who has come so far and she deserves to have her own corner and to hold her own. Which she does. Well, eventually. Yeah, even some of the weirder elements of the episode do actually have precedent. Like it did take me a second or two to register why all of a sudden Fluttershy was commanding geese. And then I remembered, oh yeah, they actually have geese defending the throne room now. They planned for this. Speaking of defending the throne room, I I am trying to give this analysis a sense of flow that it doesn't really have, but bear with me. Celestia is great in this. She is mean and threatening in a way we have not seen in quite some time. And Nicole Oliver's performance is really pushed to the max of her sternness and authority. There is a great shot of her dominating the screen with sort of a cowering discord in the bottom right. If ever you doubted that Celestia was a pony you didn't want to mess with, Well, you have made a grave misjudgment, Discord. Do you have anything else you would like to tell us? Again, maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, but it feels like this fierce, hands-on side to the princesses has also been prepped. 
having been very much in the background for a while, they deliberately tried to take a step forward back into a more active and proactive role with Between Dark and Dawn. Oh, also, yeah, made a boo-boo earlier in the episode. I realise now that I did actually refer to the Summer Sun setback, which is the one with uh, Celestia and Luna's Summer Sun celebration thing, as Between Dark and Dawn. How could you? Oh, Celestia, don't imprison me in stone. I'll never take you for granite again. Spike is made royal advisor, which is perhaps something that doesn't have its appropriate representation and resonance until the, the following episode, but I'm so glad they, they acknowledged Spike, or reaffirmed Spike as being crucial to Twilight's success. And while the main six are her council, her circle of friends, Spike is her brother, really. And Spike has been there longer than any of them. And so this is a perfectly logical promotion. Shall I say something boring? I'll say something boring. This episode's beautiful to look at, isn't it? What a hot take. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. Glad I was able to take this episode as one solid chunk. Because it works so well as a 45-minute episode, really. I don't have much more to say other than... The writers planned for this so well. And the catharsis, and the stakes, and the thrill, and the triumph are all earned. Ten. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? Last episode coming up. So, my last post-spiel, by the look of it. If you want to say something about Pony, about the podcast, now's your chance. You can email me, as always, all plotted out, at outlook.com, all lowercase, all one word, all plotted out, at outlook.com, or exit up, at all plotted out. Please specify if you'd like me to read your comment out in the last episode. I don't like to presume. If you are wanting your comments included in the show... Uh, I would also ask that you please make sure you have sent them through to me by midnight on Wednesday the 29th of November, GMT. Uh, I, I realise there are listeners from, from all over the world, not not just in the UK, uh, but obviously I just can't go through all of the, the time translations. <laughs> Though that is about 7pm in New York, about 8am Thursday the 30th of November in Singapore, and it'll be about 2pm on the 30th of November in Kiritamati. So um, if I have any Kiritamatian listeners, that's the deadline. I could really stretch this episode out here. Thank you very much, timeanddate.com slash worldclock slash. Anyway, thank you all for joining me. I really do appreciate the the listeners I've accrued. I'm amazed anyone is still listening to this. Because having me croaking my way solo through an analysis of late period My Little Pony episodes is probably not everyone's idea of fun. I don't even know if it's my idea of fun. (laughs) Though I have enjoyed doing it, I confess. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, 
stay tolerant and station Ta-ra. Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for.